Well, we continue our brief series tonight on the church and unity. And a couple of weeks ago, we first considered the danger of disunity, what the Bible had to say about the danger of disunity. Last Sunday evening, what the Bible has to say about our need for unity. Of course, the Bible gives us compelling reasons for unity, and we've considered those. We also hear this in the familiar Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, when we noted the danger of disunity, we saw that the risk for us as a church, if we're not pursuing unity, is that the opposite of us will be true. If we're not unified, we'll be divided. And we will be ineffective for the cause of Christ. Divided, we will fall. We also noted that we'll find that instead of living according to the Spirit, we'll be living according to the flesh, living like unbelievers. We also noted that we'll also lose our purpose. We'll lose direction. The danger of disunity is that when we are not unified, we get caught up in the wrong things, practicing the wrong things, pursuing the wrong purposes, pursuing the wrong things, things that we should not be emphasizing as a church. And then we also noted that we'll also give reason to disbelieve the gospel. When unbelievers see that we can't be unified as a church, they won't believe the message that we have to share with them. It also weakens the faith of faith of God's children. It weakens the faith of believers in the church when we're struggling to be unified or even ignoring the need for unity. And then we also noted that we'll likely get caught up in living sinfully, again, living according to the flesh. And we noted that we'll find ourselves opposed by God. God cannot, will not bless disobedience. Disunity opposes God, opposes God's good purposes for His church. So God will not bless our opposition of His plans and His good purposes. That's the danger of disunity. Now we could point to many more dangers, but those should get our attention, shouldn't they? Now that should wake us up to this next, what we talked about was the need for unity. We looked at that last week. We noted the the emphasis that Jesus gave to unity. This was the heart of Christ as He prayed for His disciples. He prayed for unity. And we noted that the Spirit moved Paul and other Bible writers to plead with God's children. Paul did this. He pled with the church that they pursue unity. So why do we need unity? We discussed the fact that, well, we could think about ourselves. It leads to joy. If we're pursuing unity and we're doing that which honors God, God gives us His joy. Unity also gives the watching world a reason to believe. If, if disunity gives the, uh, the world a reason to disbelieve, then unity gives them a reason to believe the gospel. It's been said that the, uh, the unity is the church's perfume. I'd like to say unity is the church's cologne, Okay. <laughs> Unity is the church's perfume. That's true. It makes, 
It makes the church a sweet smelling aroma. It's, it's beautiful. It's, and it stands out in this world where, is there, where there is so much difficulty, disunity, disharmony. Unity also leads to true fellowship amongst God's children. True fellowship with one another as we serve alongside one another. It also leads to fellowship with God. Again, it goes back to that idea of disobedience. If we're disobeying God, our fellowship with God will be broken. We will not know the joy of the Lord. He, he doesn't want us to know His joy if we're out of fellowship with Him. And so our disunity ought to draw us back to pursuing unity so that we might have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other as we serve alongside one another. And then we noted that those who promote unity in the church will be blessed by God. A church that is pursuing unity, God will bless. God loves to bless His obedient children. But God will oppose those who oppose His work by sowing disunity and discord. The opposite is true. God will bless those who honor Him in obedience, pursuing unity in the church. So tonight, as we continue... I want to consider the foundation for unity. The Bible gives us a clear foundation for our unity. If we're going to pursue unity as believers in Christ, we need a solid foundation, and we have a solid foundation for unity. So I want you to turn to Matthew 15. Let's go there to begin. We'll be looking at a few passages tonight, but let's begin with Matthew 15. And I first want to think about, we're going to be talking about the foundation for unity, but at first I want to note where our foundation for unity is not found. We do not find the foundation for unity in the church in the wisdom of the world. This is not the worldly kind of wisdom that uh, what we need to, to bring unity is not the world's kind of wisdom. In fact, Jesus condemned the hollow tradition of the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 15 when he said this. Look at verses 8 and 9. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We kind of touched on this this morning in Philippians 3 when false teachers come along and, and lead astray the church to believe false doctrine. Jesus condemned that. There will always be, of course, the temptation to pay more attention to the external things. We might be tempted to look at what's going on in the world and, and see the, the wisdom of man and think, well, that seems to work. Why don't we bring that into the church and try that here? Following the traditions of men to pursue things that appear to work, becoming, we could easily become pragmatists, become very pragmatic. Well, that seems to work. Let's try that. We might think, well, it seems to work. Let's do it. We're always looking for a quick fix. We're always looking for what will, will bring the, the most payout for the smallest investment, right? Boy, if our foundation for unity is based on our own wisdom, our own methods, our own 
cleverness, it will fail. If our foundation for unity is found in anything that we create separate from God's word, it will fail. The foundation for our unity must not be sought out in the traditions and methods of men. That's why we have a warning like this in Colossians 2, 8, where the Bible says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. So if our foundation for unity isn't found in, and I'll say that the Bible makes it clear to us that the the foundation for unity is not found in the theories of men, the ideas of men, the doctrines of men, traditions of men, practices of men, where do we find our foundation for unity? When I think about the true foundation of our unity, I'm reminded of these words, and they are saturated with scriptural truth, written by a man named Samuel, Samuel John Stone in 1868. And we know these words from the hymn, The Church's One Foundation. Listen to the first verse. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride, With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. What the words of that hymn clearly remind us is that our foundation for unity is Jesus Christ himself. We must begin with our eyes fixed on Christ, with our desire for unity based on the desire to please our Lord and Savior, be obedient to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our foundation for unity in in the church is Jesus Christ. God's true church, and there are many groups that call themselves churches, but do not biblically qualify as churches because they do not truly believe in and follow Christ. God's true church is not Many small groups of believers here and there spread all over. God's true church is one body. I heard uh, some guys in Sunday school this morning talking about this, how sweet it is when believers who do not know one another can come together anywhere on planet Earth and you discover you have this common bond in Christ and all of a sudden you have this connection that uh, the average person cannot understand. God's true church is one body, and the foundation for the true church is Jesus Christ Himself. We can hear this clearly in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. We can also hear it clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, where the Bible says in verses 12 and 13, For just as the body is one and has many members, 
and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Our foundation for unity in the church is Jesus Christ. His blood paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed of our sin and made new and live with His wisdom and His strength at work in us by way of His Spirit and His Word and be united as God's people. Jesus makes our unity as believers in Him possible. Without Him, unity is impossible. That's why I started this series by saying, you hear all the talk about unity going on in the culture, and it is impossible if that unity is not founded on Christ. So with the, unit, uh, with the foundation of our unity in the church being Jesus Christ, let's note how we depend upon Him for our unity. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. We depend on Christ. We depend on the wisdom of His Word. So what makes our unity founded in Christ to grow? What, what will help grow our unity? And I've uh, come, to, come to see there are several ingredients that we need for our unity to grow that's founded on, based on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. So Mark chapter 12, and I want you to follow along in uh, verses 28 through 31. And this is the first ingredient. What makes our unity founded in Christ to grow? It is love for God. Love for God. Look at uh, Mark 12, verses 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love for God is a key part of the foundation for unity in the church. We unite ourselves around the Lord Jesus Christ in our love for God. And note the word, you noted it, you've heard this before, I'm sure, but you note the word there in verse 31, commandment, singular. And then the verse finishes with a plural, these. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 31 the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment, singular, greater than these. These two become one commandment. We'll talk about this in a moment. But first we hear this in 1 John 5, 3, where we have this instruction. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You hear that? We need to love God, correct? God's Word says, this is what love for God looks like. 
that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, His commandments are good for us. That's why they're not burdensome. What is it to love God? It's simply this. It is obedience to His Word. And the Word of God by nature leads us to what God desires, to what God wants. And one of those things that He wants is our unity as a church, as believers. Jesus said this in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21, we hear this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 21 is a powerful reminder that God blesses people who love Him. He already loves us. When we grow in our love for God and we become obedient to His Word, we shape our lives by the truth of His Word. Verse 21 says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And we're not talking about visions here. We're talking about the wisdom of God's Word fueled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to help us understand and see who God is in His Word. And just as we sang tonight, trust Him more and more. That is a powerful reminder that God blesses people who love Him. And that's why I've said before that God's blessings are different than the kinds of blessings that, that you and I often seek. We, we seek the earthly, physical blessings, and God's blessings are far beyond that. They're spiritual in nature often, and, and we ought to be thankful for that. Yes, He may bless us with physical blessings that we can enjoy this side of heaven, but God is about growing us spiritually in Christ-likeness. And those are the kinds of blessings that we ought to long for. Those are the eternal kinds of blessings. Now, let's turn to Isaiah 66.2. So first of all, what makes our unity founded in Christ to grow? Love for God. Secondly, what else will cause our unity founded in Christ to grow? Love for the truth. Love for the truth. I sent you at Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's a pretty good formula there at the end of verse 2. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. A pretty good formula for how to read the Bible. How should we read the Bible? With humility, with contrition, with a willing, the point is a willingness to say, you're God and I'm not. This is your word. I need to put it in my heart and obey it and please you. We tremble at God's word. And we ought to do that with confidence and joy, knowing that God helps us honor Him with our lives when we take seriously His Word and humble ourselves before it. Believers who love God's Word and obey it eagerly, those who come before the Bible with submissiveness and humility, find God's 
favor. Find God's help. Find God's wisdom. Especially, and we're talking about, when we're talking about unity, especially, this is especially necessary when we're thinking of our, our, our relationships with other people. We need the wisdom of God changing our thinking, changing our attitudes, changing our desires when it comes to dealing with one another, living with one another in fellowship that pleases God. We desperately need God's help in all of our relationships. So how do we find God's help? We love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, with our energy. And we love the truth. We love the truth of God's Word. We submit to the truth of God's Word. Oh, we also see the opposite of of God's blessing for those who reject God's truth. It's a dangerous place to live. It's not a healthy place to live. There's this sobering reminder in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses 10 through 12. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they, get this, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a fairly strong warning to people who reject the truth of God's Word. Now, you might say, well, I believe the Bible. (laughs) I'm not going to reject the truth of God's Word. But we act like those kinds of people when we know the truth and, and do not practice it. When we catch ourselves, if we, even if we don't say it, if we, if we live like this, I know what the Bible says, but. But I'm not doing that. I know what the Bible says, but they go first. I'm going to wait for them to come to me. I know what the Bible says, but. That's a dangerous place to live. God will not bless that kind of thinking about His Word. We can hear it also in James 4, verse 6. But He gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I desperately want God on my side. I don't want Him opposing me, the Creator of the universe. I don't want Him opposing me. How about you? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace to those who humble themselves before His Word and say, You're God, I'm not. This is Your Word. I need to obey Lord, help me obey. Help me to have more faith as I take little baby steps of obedience. Verse 10 also says, James 4, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. He will help you. He will show up in your hour of need. Boy, what makes our unity founded on Christ to grow? Truth. Love the truth. Pursue the truth. Read the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay, now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Love God. Love the truth. Love the truth of God's word. Love the Bible. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 
helps answer this question. What else is necessary for our unity founded in Christ to grow? Well, what else is necessary is love for one another. You knew this is where we were going, right? <laughs> love God, love God's word, and love, love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. This is one of the blessings of God's Word. When you read God's Word, God teaches you Himself. God teaches you by way of His Spirit, helping you. This is, uh, this is where we don't need teachers often. We know God's Word tells us we need to love one another. People who love God's truth will be taught by God, will be encouraged by God, will be reminded by God to love one another. Love will be the rule, not the exception. It will be the longing of our hearts that we love one another. It, it shouldn't be something that, that we find it hard to do. If God has our affections, if we are loving God, if we're loving His truth, then we will also want to love one another. If we truly love God, we must also love His Word and we must also love His people. John 13, 34 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. I'm so glad that God's Word doesn't tell us you need an example to love, just look around you. God doesn't say that. <laughs> and, and there's good reason for that. He doesn't say, you want an example of how to love God's people to look around you for godly examples. No, he says, look at my son. You want a godly example of how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Look to Jesus. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his incredible example of love. Going to the cross, the sinless one. Suffering for our sins, the wrath of God poured out on him instead of us. What an incredible example Jesus is. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So if we're devoted to obeying the word of God, then we've got to be learning from the word from the example of Christ, to love one another. And this will, it will cause unity to flourish and grow and thrive. God's people will thrive in their growth in unity. Listen to this from 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I think that's a powerful reminder to us that this is something we'll always need to tend to until the Lord returns or calls us home. We're going to individually and as a body of Christ, we're going to need to keep tending to this. Love one another with brotherly affection, says Romans 12.10. This is one of my favorite passages on the topic, and you've heard me quote it. Before, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
So not only should we keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, but we should, if there's any competition at all, (laughs) our competition should be trying to outdo one another and loving each other. 1 John 3.11 also says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning. Ephesians 4.2 also says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is an absolute necessity, and it's a necessary ingredient for our unity as believers in Jesus Christ. These truths should stop us in our tracks when we're tempted to complain about a brother or sister in Christ. This ought to make us pause when we're tempted to complain about our spouse. Even, I even say, even jokingly. I'm cautious about even jokingly saying things about my spouse. And, and I'm grateful that Carolyn has a, an attitude that way too. She's very careful to, about jokingly complaining about me. She has plenty to complain about, but she, she doesn't. And I thank God for that. I think we ought to think about that. These kinds of truths ought to capture our attention and make us want to honor God with the way that we speak of one another and speak about one another and speak to one another. We've got to learn to measure our our thoughts because what we think will eventually come out of our mouths. What we're willing to say, we'll eventually do. We've got to learn to measure our thoughts, our words, our actions against this great commandment. Not two commandments. One commandment. Am I loving God and loving His people? Am I loving God and loving my neighbor? With what I'm getting ready to say, am I loving God and loving my my neighbor? powerful reminder for us here and this will lead to our unity if we'll check ourselves if we'll examine our own hearts often and always with that kind of a submissive attitude to god and his word i so appreciate pastor and author vody bauckham who uh, writes in his book family driven faith about our love for god and uh, being heart soul might and mind being more than simply he talks about it being more than simply a vertical relationship Loving God, heart, soul, might, and strength is more than just between you and God. It's, it should cause an overflow that spreads out to other people around you. He says, if we learn to love God, we'll learn to love, period. If we learn to love God, we'll learn to love, period. He goes on to say, our homes must be rife with the aroma of love, those who visit us should notice immediately that they have left the world of self-serving, egocentric narcissism and have entered a safe harbor where people value and esteem others above themselves. Outsiders should enter our homes and never want to leave. Our neighbors should find excuses to visit us just to get another whiff of the fragrant aroma of love. The brokenhearted should long to be near us. The downtrodden and the abused should seek us out. Families on the brink of disaster should point to us and say, Why can't our home be like that? Wouldn't it be great 
if people not, not only look at our families, but look at our church and say, why can't we be like that? This is a key reason for the pursuit of unity in the church and really must begin, it really must begin in our homes. Before it will show up in the church, we need to practice this at home. Why? So that the world will see Jesus and believe in Him so that the world will know Christ personally. And then a fourth point, our unity founded in Christ will also grow when we all walk by the same word. Where there is no truth, there is no unity. So we must all walk according to the same word. The word of God is our guide. The Bible is our guide to life on this earth. The Bible is our guide to life in the church. The Bible is our guide for life for eternity. It prepares us well for eternity. And so we must, each one, yield to God's Word. It's one of the reasons I constantly remind you and will keep constantly reminding you to read the Bible for yourself. Read God's Word. Apply it to your own heart. Ask God to convict you with it, to strengthen you with it, to encourage you with it. Ask for God's wisdom as you read His Word to live life in a way that pleases and makes much of Him, glorifies Him. The familiar 2 Timothy 3 tells us that in verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's Word, properly applied, properly followed, properly humbled under, will lead to our unity. God's Word will lead us to unity if we will allow ourselves to be led by it. I always want to be careful uh, that, that, I don't, that we don't think this way, that we're going to let God do this or let God do that. God's in control. But we do need to submit. We do need to humble ourselves before God and ask God to do the work that He desires to do in us for His glory and for our good. We must read the Bible. We must humble ourselves before it, and we must submit to it. So let's never forget that the Bible is our only authority. Not, not our neighbor's wisdom, not the wisdom that we think we find on the news, um, I hope you don't think you find a lot of wisdom by watching news or reading whatever it is we like to re read that's not the Bible. We need God's Word as our only authority. It is our only authority. Here's what 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our foundation for unity in the church is Jesus Christ. How grateful I am that Christ is our foundation for unity. 
It's not something temporal. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, our sinless Savior, who who died on a cruel cross, was buried, and rose again from the dead on the third day, and lives today, and has given us His indwelling presence in, in His Spirit, and has given us His Word. Our foundation for unity in the church is Jesus Christ, and He points us to the Word, where we must learn to love God, love the truth, love one another, and walk by the same Word. What a wonderful blessing is ours when we honor God with this desire, with this pursuit of unity. It's for God's glory that we be unified. It's for our good. It's for our joy. And it's for the sake of the watching world who would be one to Christ as people, as individuals see us in the way that we live and say, I want that. What is it they have? And believe our message. Believe our gospel message about the Lord Jesus Christ. 